This is out of bounds. This is out of bounds, and that is a gigantic jug that me and Ryan had there. It's as big as my head, as many have told me before. <laughs> it really is. Listen, this John, is I gotta be hydrated. We have a high-powered, high-octane show ahead of us. Yes, that we certainly do. You gotta stay hydrated, or you're gonna dehydrate. This is out of bounds, your weekly spot for the weird, wacky, wild, and sports. That's Mia. I'm John, and we're gonna have some fun here because there's managerial madness to go around, crazy happenings going on in the NFL and in space, apparently, and many other places as well. What's going on, Mia O'Brien? Cannot complain, John Alba, when you get to not work from home, but your commute is trimmed by about mm, 23 minutes, uh, and that's with a 28-minute commute to work each week. Uh, it's Wild a good it. way to start Good way to start the work week, and then uh, a, a little work from home. And unfortunately, as you can see, I'm still at the kitchen. That, that's not the unfortunately part. The unfortunately is, as I reported last week, uh, my dining room table has been built at the new house, which is obviously very exciting because another place to sit and talk to you on Out of Bounds. But... We actually have, and I'm not going to turn around all the wiring and everything, but we actually have a bench on the opposite side of the table from me. And so I was really hoping I would have a certain furry podcast co-host, a third co-host for us, because he loves when we sit down at dinner, he loves that he can now sit with us on the Mm. bench and be a part of the dinner conversation. And he was sitting here not too long ago, so I thought Terrence the cat would want to join this episode of Out of Bounds. He may at some point or another. Um, but yeah, we've had a good day despite a little accident on the couch uh, yesterday when we woke up. So all smiles, the vibes are high. Okay. All right. That's what I like to hear. Glad to hear that the vibes are high. Uh, it, it was a pretty adventurous week in the sports world, so I don't want to waste too more too much more time, but I do want to tell everyone, kynchat.com. That's where you get your super chats in. We'll read your comment on air, or if you're watching on YouTube, Drop that super chat comment. We will make sure that it is read on air, whether it's a question, a comment, a concern, or anything else. To that extent, we will make sure to share it with you. We love our interaction here on Out of Bounds, so we want to see what you guys have to say throughout the course of this podcast. As we do every single week here, Mio, Brian, we got a little opening toast. What are you drinking today? I am. Oh, I'm drinking, actually. It's um, an Alaganitas, but it's actually, I just opened up the new and last pack. Of the daytime summer variety. Summer is very much over. Well, not here in this Florida. Daylight save, this daylight savings time oh, stuff is screwing oh, me up. That part is god awful. Yesterday, I legit thought it was four o'clock in the afternoon. Or, excuse me, I thought it was like nine o'clock at night. It was like four thirty, and yeah, I'm it's like, pitch this black is weird. right now, and it's six yeah. o'clock, and I don't like that. I hate that. But in Florida, uh, we we are getting a little bit of a reprieve. It's back up into the eighties today, so I felt a little warmth although it was one of those ideal days that you're like this is why i live in florida um because it was in the 70s mostly but my radio show was outside so i unfortunately was in the seat with a little too much sun which is fine Mm. i just had pants on so i regretted that life decision um but hey a little bit of warmth and i'm also going to savannah this weekend so cheers to that i'm going with my knob creek smoked maple again this was delicious last week so we're gonna do it again let's get some asmr there it is and cheers to your little Savannah trip. Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready. My body is ready. Bring in the Freehold, New Jersey crowd to Savannah, Georgia. That goes down so smooth, especially I was at a concert last night and shouted my lungs out. So I have something like that. That is tasty. And we know you definitely shouted your lungs out. I do. Dirty Honey. They're fantastic. Everyone should go listen to them. I was at Asbury Lanes. It was amazing. All right, Mia, this was not going to be our lead today. We had a different lead, but then plans changed, pal. And here we go. Yep. Uh, no, not Michigan. Or no, that is. No, wait. That's <gasps> sorry. I thought that was Jim Harbaugh. May as well be Jim Harbaugh, but oh it's not. Oh, my God. I thought it was Jim Harbaugh <laughs> slash Blake Corum. No, that's Craig Council. Why are we showing Craig Council? Well, folks, we had the wildest 25 minutes in recent Major League Baseball offseason history. Did you think the hot stove is dead? Because it ain't, John. So here's your timeline. Craig Council, former manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, has been linked to a variety of different teams this offseason, um, whether it was the Brewers, the Mets, the Guardians, a lot of other teams. And then all of a sudden, Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports tweets out that, yes, Craig Council is going to be a manager somewhere, dot, 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 but it's none of those teams with a vacancy. It's a team that already has a manager. 
And it turns out that team was the Chicago Cubs. But wait, John, and we're going to dive into this. They had a manager, World Series his World Series legend, David Ross. Had they fired David Ross yet? We still don't know. It they sounds did. like they, they haven't. They did, in fact, fire him. Yeah, yeah, but had they fired him when the Rosenthal fired no. him when the Rosen right? So, with that said, did the Cubs stoop too low with this one hiring not only a rival manager, but also not telling one of their legends that hey, you've been canned? Instead, he finds out that somebody else has been hired for his job. Well, there's a big part of this too that you didn't mention, which is that this is a record-setting five-year deal worth more than forty million dollars. He's going to get paid about eight million dollars per year, which is the most that a manager has been paid in Major League Baseball history. There was a large disparity in pay with managers versus players in Major League Baseball, so much so that a lot of former players that wanted to become managers were taking jobs in the NCAA because they felt that there was more of a path to building a program there and through some of the opportunities. Instead, Craig Council takes this job with the Chicago Cubs that nobody saw common. This came out of total left field. Everyone knew that he would be the high commodity here in the offseason and for it to end up with the Chicago Cubs firing David Ross, uh, I do think that it is a move that is going to be scrutinized for some time, Mia. And you could make the fair argument that this was not a classy move whatsoever, especially to someone who carries a lot of equity with your franchise. Now, with that said, this was the top candidate out there. You could argue that with a couple of moves, both player personnel and managerial here in this case, that the Chicago Cubs could be contenders for a World Series championship again sometime in the not-so-distant future. They saw their man. They felt they needed a change in the clubhouse. I understand going out and trying to do this. But I ask you, this feels straight out of the NFL, doesn't it? It's just so weird because, like, I'm trying to do the math right now in my head. Did Craig Council play at the same time? As David Ross. Yeah, they definitely yeah. did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were ever teammates. That's the rabbit hole I was just attempting to go down there. Um, no, I mean, it's very NFL. It's very college football. It honestly reminds me more of the Lincoln Riley the interview where he says, I'm not going to LSU. I'm not leaving here for LSU. But I did leave there for USC. Like, that that's what it felt like to me. And that was such a splash when he and Brian Kelly both departed the institutions they had been at forever for bigger premier blue blood names. That's what this feels like. Um, as some of our commenters are noting on YouTube, what's fascinating to me is while Craig Council has been the manager of the Milwaukee Braves, or not Milwaukee Braves, wow, Milwaukee Brewers, excuse me. Yes. 1950s. Yeah, that would be are, nice. But... The Milwaukee Brewers since 2015, and they've had a couple of, you know, good seasons, but he's they... never been to a World Series. He's never been to an NLCS, correct me if I'm wrong. Outside, As a player, he did. And not that David Ross has, you know, accomplished all that much. If anything, he has largely underachieved in Chicago. Um, they, they they did make an NLCS, by the way, twenty eighteen. One. Twenty nineteen, yes. yes. So so one in twenty nine oh, twenty eighteen. Sorry. Yeah. So they're so one. But then what have they done in the last four or five years? Like they've been competitive, don't get me wrong. And obviously they've made the postseason and they won the NL Central this year, nine games ahead of the Cubs and everybody else. So like clearly they're competitive and he's a good manager, but like I want you to break down for our listeners exactly how much of a disparity there is between Craig Council, the manager, and David Ross, the manager. I mean, there's a track record, me. It's pretty much as simple as that. Like, David Ross made the playoffs one time as a manager, and it was in the 2020 season, which was the COVID season. So they only won like 34, 35 games, and that was enough to get you into the playoffs. And the Cubs haven't made the playoffs since. I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, they only eclipsed 80 wins like once with David Ross's man. And they lost their chance at the postseason basically the last week of the season this year. So that to me is pretty much all that it speaks to. Craig Council, you, you can say, okay, well, he didn't win a World Series, but making the playoffs in Major League Baseball is not easy. It's a very difficult thing to do. It is the most arduous season of any of them of the big four to go 162 games and realistically have to win anywhere between 85 and 95 of them in order to be in a position where you want to be, if not more than 85, there is a track record of success in the division that Craig council was able to amount. And for that reason alone, I think that speaks to having street cred in being someone that you bring into your organization 
it's the speed in which it happened. It's the idea that they undermined a guy who's beloved by a lot of the fans there in Chicago. I think that's what creates some of the drama and elicits the emotion that it does. Now, with that said, I think Craig Council's a great manager and he's going to be a great choice for Chicago. I think he's the type of guy that gets a lot out of his players. We know that the Cubs have kind of underachieved in recent years, so maximizing player output is something that a good manager who has the ability to talk to players and speak to them at that intimate level can achieve. That's why I think it's a good hire, but it does feel a little lowbrow from an organization that likes to consider itself anything but. In the words of former Florida Athletic Director Jeremy Foley when Dan Mullen was canned, um, what is going to be done eventually should be done immediately. And I, I, that's the vibe I get. And that's no disrespect to David Ross. Let's be real. Let's go back to when he was hired. He was hired because he was a World Series hero and he had just retired and he was available. And Joe Madden, a historic figure in Cubs and Major League Baseball folklore, you know, was out and they needed somebody to make the fan base go, oh, we're lovable still. And there was David Ross. And so it made sense. Um, and so that's where I look at this as a business decision. At the end of the day, the Cubs said, okay, we need to get serious about baseball again. And this can only go on for so long. We can only live off the coattails of 2016 for so long. And so I give them credit that they've said, hey, listen, we got to push all the chips into the middle of the table if we're going to compete. And so why not take the guy who's won the division? the last five years. Um, my question for you is this is Craig council leaving mid contract from Milwaukee. No, his contract expired. And they had said they were not going to pursue him. No, they did try to pursue him and right. he walked away. We have not had a managerial situation like that since. I mean, it, it happens. It, it does happens. happen, I mean, but the Yankees that's the did it with Joe Girardi. Right. Um, but was, except what, they chose, five years they, ago? they told him that they didn't want him back, but uh, I, I look at it. I look at just the craziest part about it. Mia was the dominoes that fell because the way I, I place this, we knew the Guardians, Mets, and Brewers were in on him. This morning, Stephen Vote was chosen as the Guardians manager. Thirty-nine years old. I think it's a great hire. I really like that for them a lot. I think it, he's one of the more likable players in the last ten years, fifteen years. It's going to be a lot of fun seeing that. So he told them this morning, assumingly that he was out. Then it was reported it was down to the Mets and Brewers. Well, the Mets and Brewers were waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Carlos Mendoza is named the manager of the Mets, the Yankees bench coach, named the manager of the Mets. So you're saying, okay, well, then I guess he told the Mets he was out. Well, presumably at that time, he also He's told the Brewers, the Brewers he was out. And then all of a sudden, you have to imagine he was bargaining for that Cubs job the entire time, leveraging the Mets and the Guardians and the Brewers, and they were just waiting to see, are, are you going to pay me and are you going to fire David Ross? And they said, okay. So that's when all the news started to leak out. I, I find that element of it so fascinating how the media cycle works with that. Well, especially the Kim Rosenthal cryptic t tweet because right. nobody is nobody is more connected in Is baseball. this the first ever mystery team hire for a manager? It has to be. Has to be. Team has been and the fact that it was, he's going to a team that already has a manager and you right. started tweeting out like, okay, let's look at what teams that could possibly be. I read it as maybe it's the Brewers and oh, ha, ha, they already had a manager. It's him. He's staying. No, no, I, I really thought that. Plus when he turned down the Mets and they then said, well, he's not going back to the Brewers. I said instantly, I'm like, oh, he's going to the Astros. I'm like, I can't believe this. The Astros wound up finagling themselves a great manager and then they're like, no, it's a team that that already has one. And I'm like, we are breaking ground here. This is mystery team. First time ever mystery team signs a manager. Mystery team is prolifically in on free agents, but never to managers. But Mia, ultimately, I want to close on this point. I think this is really good for getting managers paid the way they should in Major League Baseball because they have been drastically underpaid for the amount of money that exists within the sport. And it does bring up a conversation about managers that I'd like to extend to you look at bruce bochi there wait can i first can i first read my my stat sure craig council eight million con dollar contract it would have been the largest contract on the 2023 a's yes thank you make it that way you will bruce bochi lucky he wasn't managing the 2023 a's he was managing the 2023 texas rangers and he led them to a world series championship his fourth of his career Dusty Baker won the World Series the year prior, Mia. 
Is it time we put some respect on the old dogs of the game and stop focusing on what the computers say with these unproven guys and young guys? I don't know. Apparently not, because we're just out here hiring former players left and right. You mentioned vote. I mean, now we look at Craig Council, former player, because he has more experience, more elite than David Ross, former player, who was hired essentially off the street just on street cred because he was a World Series hero. Um no, we're we're still. It's fascinating because when all is said and done, the Houston Astros have made it to the World Series how many times in the last seven years? Well, I'll tell you this: they've been to the ALCS all seven. So the reality is, is that with Dusty Baker as their manager for the bulk of that seven years, an old dog, they were making it to a Final Four that many of those young guns and the next up and coming manager could not guide their team to. The Bruce Bochy story for me is just so fascinating because, like, the man is sixty-eight years old, John. Like, wasn't he just like chilling on a beach, or doesn't he like want to chill on a right? But then, like, just just decides, okay. I'll well, come back no, and manage the Rangers. Deciding, like, this is a big credit, Mia, to the Rangers upper brass. Chris Young, specifically the old pitcher who's now their mm-hmm. head of baseball ops. Who is, oh, there we go. There's another one. Well, but he goes out and he says, I have a young team with a couple borderline superstars and Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. We can compete, but we need a veteran manager. There were tons of guys he could have gone out and gotten. He could have gone out and gotten Raul Labanez or Carlos Beltran or someone like that, right? But Carlos Beltran's considered old now. Oh my goodness! No, no, but I'm saying like oh, you're referring to him as a former player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These young. I thought you were referring to him as an old dog. I was like, oh my god, these young managerial candidates. I'm like, okay, they could have gone for one of those, but instead they recognized, no, we need a serious man with reputation and street cred who's going to come in here, connect with our guys. Bring an old school mentality while also embracing what the game is today. And there's something to that. Very much so, there's something to that. The Angels right now, they've got Buck Walter in their candidate pool for manager. I have no issue with that. We saw what he did in his first season with the Mets. This past season, I think everything just kind of got away from them. And they there have to go is the merit, in my opinion, Mia, to having these guys that have the street cred come in and do something for you you don't have to tell me the team i cover i mean hello let's be real here like <laughs> in the pool of the former players that trust me the byron Leftwiches of the world the um you know dan campbells who was doing very well in detroit for what it's worth but all the former players that that's like the hip new kellen moore like in the nfl those are the buzzwords doug peterson nah, what a super bowl But guess what? He was the right choice because you needed someone to come in, set ground rules, set expectations, make it normal who had done it before. And guess what? They went to the playoffs in year one under Doug Peterson. And so, yes. They're on a good trajectory. Correct. Because they brought in a sturdy hand. And yes, I will eat crow. If they had brought in Byron Leftwich, I don't know what happens. I honestly don't. But... At least with Doug, you knew what you were going to get. And I think with Bruce Bochy, you knew what you were going to get. And I think with Dusty Baker, you knew what you were going to get. With these young cats, that's the thing that you don't know. Especially when, I don't know, you're hiring Aaron Boone out of the press box, having never managed, or better yet, and I'm going to flip this on its head because we're going to talk about it in a little bit, Antonio Pierce, who was an ESPN analyst, then was a high school coach, then was an Arizona State assistant coach, which we won't even get into that. And now all of a sudden is an interim head coach of an NFL franchise. Yeah, at least he was on the NFL staff. Correct. But again, so it's, it, you go, but there's plenty. I mean, look at Josh McCown. Let's talk about Josh McCown being a finalist for the Houston Texans job a few years ago when his only coaching experience was in high school. And look, Doug Peterson started as a high school coach after his playing days. So like, it's totally possible. But I, I just think that, yes, the... At the end of the day, these young players, they're great names, and it's a great idea that, hey, they can communicate better with the players. Dusty Baker played in the majors. Correct me if I'm wrong. Long time. Doug Peterson, 14 years as a backup to a guy named Brett Favre. Dusty Baker is credited with inventing the high five when he was a player. Right. So that's why this notion of – Yeah, I did. This notion of – Yeah. This notion of – 
we need to hire young play, young coaches that just finished playing because they will relate. It can work in some circumstances, i.e. Sean McVay, but in others, maybe you do still need that mentor figure who wait for it. Also played. But at some point, someone's got to give them their first shot. I, I'm not going to sit up here and like yell at a cloud and say like you need to earn your due um, because the Sean McVay school and uh, coaching tree will tell you otherwise. But the, the Josh McCown jumping right from high school is nuts. Aaron Boone jumping right from ESPN. Like, I don't know. Let's keep rolling, Mia. Let's head on over to the NFL. Yes, let's do it. Um, my guy, Josh freaking Dobbs, the pastronaut, as NASA is now referring to him as. Yeah, Josh Dobbs, University of Tennessee grad, former Jaguar, former Steeler twice, former Cleveland Brown twice, now the former quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, was traded to the Vikings on a Tuesday. He did an internship at NASA once upon a time because he was a aerospace engineering major at Tennessee. And he also interned for NASA in the past. Um, He leads Minnesota five days after being traded there to an epic come from behind victory over the Atlanta Falcons, despite not knowing half of his teammates names, his offensive line, not knowing his cadence and having never taken a snap under center from Garrett Bradbury, their center, because Jaron Hall, the rookie who was supposed to be the starter that day, and he was the starter, got a concussion, and Dobbs was thrust into action. But let's bring it back. John, is Pastronaut the greatest nickname ever and the most wild turn of events in someone's life? This is awesome. I mean, look at that picture, first off. So I also want to know, like, I wasn't kidding when I said former Jaguar, because, like, Josh was here, and, like, he did his internship at NASA while he was playing for the Jaguars yeah, in 2020. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, awesome. actually, the pastronaut is the coolest. Yeah, it's a niche reference, but this is this is straight out of the vocabulary of our mutual pal, Luke Hetrick. He would come up with something like the pastronaut. Uh, this is amazing. He was at the game, so. Yes, he was. This is an outstanding sports story how could you not love this story i mean you hate the concussion obviously but you love the opportunity that dobbs is this journeyman comes in off a trade maybe he'll get some playing time maybe he won't and all of a sudden you're thrust right into it playing from behind on the sidelines as the defense is on the field and he's realizing he's about to come in the game he's running the offensive cadences just to try to get an idea of what kind of chemistry are we going to have They're running basic plays. They're not running anything crazy, but they're efficient and they're converting. And Dobbs proves that he's a good athlete. And as a result, he leads him to a win. This is an amazing story. I love the nickname, the Pastronaut. Let's keep it running. The NFL needs more stories like this. This has been a putrid year, and we're going to talk more about it in just a little bit for quarterbacks in the NFL. I I can't remember in my lifetime as a fan that we've seen a year like this for quarterbacks and just misfortune across the league. So let's embrace this great story that we have here in Josh Dobbs and feed all in to the aura of the pastronaut. Also, for what it's worth, the pastronaut wasn't doing that bad in Arizona. Like, I'm not going to say they're tanking, but like, they're, come on. Kyler Murray is supposed to be activated this week. Is he? Is he not? Yeah, well, he is, he is. He is active this week. This coming. Yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, active. there's a 21-day window. He has to be activated or else. Will he play? Will he be a healthy scratch to be determined? Um, And, and then you combine that with some of the other personnel moves they made this offseason. And so the reality is, is that he was on a team that really wasn't given a shot to win. And now he is transplanted to a team that just lost its quarterback, but were, they were winners of four straight and have been left for dead when it came to their playoff hopes. But we're sitting at 500, which in the NFC, I mean, you're already in a wild card spot, basically, by virtue of everybody else being so awful. And so it's awesome. I hope it continues because he's a great dude. He was awesome here, even though he never got to be on the field. Um, They love him in Pittsburgh. They love him in Cleveland. They love him in Tennessee. He actually, John, we forget last year that de facto AFC South championship game, because Malik Willis was awful, because Ryan Tannehill was hurt, The Titans went out and signed Josh Dobbs off the Browns practice squad. And in two weeks time, he was their quarterback in a game that was winning in into the playoffs. So this guy has played in big games before he has, he like actually has been in the NFL for years now. He's clearly brilliant because he is an astronaut and he's an aerospace engineer. Um, But yeah, it's just awesome. And I love the video that, you know, he does a selfie and he's like, Hey, skull nation, 
my name is Josh. Nice to meet you. Like, it was just too good to be true. So I hope it continues, um, mostly because I want my, my my son, Daniel Hunter, to continue to thrive if he's not going to be in Jacksonville. I want him to at least make the playoffs because he and the Vikings are going to split paths soon, and hopefully he ends up here. Um, but, no, the reality is, is that that's, that's a team that now they've lost Cam Akers to an Achilles as well, even after losing Kirk Cousins. They've given TJ Hawkinson a ton of money. They draft Jordan Addison. They've been without Justin Jefferson during a four-game win streak, which is crazy to think mm-hmm. about. Um, so it, it's a really good story. And um, as much as everyone loves the Detroit Lions, I would love nothing more than the Minnesota Vikings coming from behind and stealing the NFC North. I did say it's been a weird year for quarterbacks. Oh, boy. NFL, and hey, uh, Tommy DeVito starts on Sunday. Ten. Ten rookie quarterbacks will have started this season. We are in week ten, John. That's nuts. Well, it's looking very likely that Tommy DeVito is going to start this weekend for the New York football giants because Daniel Jones tore his ACL in the giants blowout loss against Antonio Pierce's Raiders. Not even a full half after getting cleared from a neck injury that caused him to miss several weeks. This of course, Mia on the heels of him signing a massive four year, $160 million extension this past off season. Now, there's a legitimate chance that this guy never plays another snap for the New York Giants. Is this the worst contract in NFL history? Not in the slightest, because Nick Foles was given $88 million, played in three and a half games, was booed off the field, and then traded to Chicago, who somehow took on that astronomical contract back in 2020. Um, you combine that with the deal that Blake Bortles was given, and no, I have anecdotal evidence to suggest more futility. Hainsworth is a pretty bad one too. Right. The The reality is with the Giants is that this was the cost of doing business. They were not in a draft position in the draft order to draft a quarterback. There was no one to really throw a bag at or trade for, nor did they have the assets for it. And so th- they were going to, akin to the Geno Smith deal, and quite honestly, I think the deal that Kirk Cousins is going to get at the end of this year They had to come to a common ground with Daniel Jones, especially because they knew they were going to tag Saquon Barkley, where they could get a two- to three-year deal where they could get out from underneath it after year one or year two, and that's what they did. Um, While certainly the dead cap number, whatever year they end up parting ways, is not going to be pretty, uh, the reality is, is that you could keep Daniel Jones under contract as much as you'll be paying him next year to probably not start the season because of when his injury occurred, I would assume. Um, Even if he's your bridge quarterback – Look, it's the cost of doing business. He was not the highest-paid quarterback in the National Football no. League. He wasn't even the top 10. This is the reality of the world we well, live in Well, right there's an now. argument to be made that they should have given the contract to Saquon, and then Daniel Jones should have gotten the franchise tag. Yeah, well, who would have stopped Saquon route. from getting hurt? Because Saquon could have gotten oh, no, hurt. I, I don't disagree. I'm just making And also, who would have been their quarterback? Oh, they would have just tagged Daniel Jones? I'm saying tag Jones. And then, yeah, but then the dollars and cents don't match up, though, because you would have to pay a quarterback like $30 million well, was, in the tag. It's always going to be an interesting situation because Daniel Jones was not a Brian Dayball and Joe Shane guy. And that was Correct. always going to be the interesting situation. Because Saquon. The Giants overachieved last year. No question. Where they ran into a weak NFC. Daniel Jones had a great year. He was really, really good last year. And as a, and Saquon was really, really good. And as a result, all those things together meshed for a playoff win. So you can make the argument that the Giants might have fooled themselves into thinking that they were better than they probably actually were, even though I do think there is some degree of talent on this team, especially on the defensive side. But ultimately, they were well over a year ahead of schedule. Now the Giants find themselves in a situation where you got to imagine, Mia, that Shane and Dayball are going to want their guy at quarterback. And it's well, not especially with Daniel. where they may be picking, John. That's what I'm saying. And it's not going to be Daniel Jones, regardless of what happens. I think even had Jones been fine this year, I still think there would have been a chance that they would have at some point in the next couple of years made a move for a quarterback long term. I think that's totally plausible. 26 years old, your heart goes out to Jones because the dude was playing his ass off. He was really trying hard to get out there. He has this neck injury and then this ACL injury that's going to take him out of the running of being a serious contender in the NFL as a starting quarterback for the future, not just with the Giants. Is he going to play a football game again? That's a legitimate question. I think he'll play again, but I I think his next contract is as a backup as, as a result. And, you know, he'll be a good backup to start. But, and, you know, that kind of like that, that borderline Baker Mayfield type of player 
which I think is probably what his wheelhouse is going to end up being. That's kind of what his ceiling is going to be. But the reality is, Mia, the Giants are now going to find themselves in a situation where they probably have a top three pick. Yeah, it sucks what happened to Danny Dimes, but like this is the best thing that Giants fans could hope for, if I'm being completely Well, you honest. can make that argument on one hand, but also, Mia, they probably would have used a first-round draft pick this year on an offensive lineman that they so severely need as well. So you can go get Caleb Williams, you can go get Derek May, but the reality or Drake May rather, but the reality is, um, you don't. And I know I said the reality is like three times here. That's because the Giants have been dealing with a harsh the, dose of reality. A harsh dosage of reality. Um, if you don't have an offensive line to protect any of these quarterbacks, it's not really going to matter how good they are. Yeah, but look at what the Houston Texans are doing with a patchwork offensive line. I feel like I'm not as familiar with the Giants' cap or draft situation coming up this spring. Not great. Well, draft they have they have capital, but they don't have a lot of cap room. Right. So, I'm are they, are they going to re-sign Saquon? I don't think so. I don't know how. So you you're saving Saquon. a little bit of money there. You obviously traded away. Um, traded away Leonard big, Williams. Leonard Williams, which was a big contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the boy off the couch. You're not going to have him hanging around. I wouldn't think. Thank you, Justin Pugh. Um, look, you go out, you find second, third, fourth round draft picks. And yeah, it's going to stink that they're going to have to take their lumps along with the quarterback. And the quarterback's probably going to get hit a lot the first year. But the hope is by drafting one of those elite guys, it's a guy who has pocket presence. Like that was part of the yeah. issue or not non-issue, I should say, with Trevor Lawrence was like his rookie year, he was like, you know, not, it wasn't a great offensive line, but he wasn't even in the bottom 15 in sacks because his pocket awareness was so great. And so by going out and getting a Caleb Williams or getting a Drake May, well, certainly they're going to have to evade pressure. If you get a guy that's smart enough, sacks can be a quarterback stat or lack thereof. There's also an argument to be made that quarterbacks truly are better situated sitting a year coming out of the draft yep. learning mm-hmm. or at least just bring not even learning from a, bring Tyrod yeah. back he's under contract for another year right yeah Tyrod they could I mean if the guy's even healthy you, you just your heart breaks for him too um but there are so many guys historically who have benefited from sitting even the first seven eight games of a season before being brought in Will Levis right now look what's going yep. on there in Tennessee mm-hmm. Would he have had as much success if he started the season? Who's to say? Probably not. You know, the guy's got a great arm, but just getting those seven, eight games of learning the See speed everything. of the game in practice and everything, it, it really makes a big difference. So that's going to be Lamar sat the first seven, eight games. What's that? Lamar Jackson. Yeah, sat Lamar the first Jackson seven or eight sat. Games. Eli Manning sat. Philip Rivers sat. There's a lot. Patrick Mahomes. Did you also know his dad played baseball? I, I think that was truthfully where he really learned how to be so elusive. But yeah, but that brings up the question then, Mia, what becomes of Caleb Williams and will he be ready for the NFL? Yeah, I have a lot of feelings on this one. All right, so uh, he is the projected number one overall pick. However, let's run through the litany of items when it comes to Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. Um, after his Trojans lost 52-42 to 42 to the Washington Huskies on Saturday, he cried in his mother's arms in the stands. He ran over to his family. He jumps in the stands. He was sobbing behind a sign she was holding. The 2022 Heisman Trophy winner explained that all he wanted to do was spend time with his pooch during the post-game press conference after crying to his mom. Quote, I want to go home and cuddle with my dog and watch some shows. Now, this, John, before I get to our question, is on the heels of what I texted you this morning, which is what a lot of college scouts and people around football are questioning. This is the same guy that painted F Utah on his nails prior to the Pac-12 championship game last year, in which his USC team was blown out by the aforementioned Utah Utes. And so my question is, when it comes to Caleb Williams, is he going to be too soft for New York? Is he relatable? What sort of read do we have on this I don't know. Listen, you know when I hear I just want to cuddle my pooch and watch some shows, you know that's my energy through and through. So, like, honestly, I'm I'm good. I think he has to be, like, a tough guy. And, like, I understand, like, you want to be relatable to your audience. But, like, there comes a time where they're like, are there some immaturity question marks about this kid? Maybe there's a little bit, but at the same time, yeah, I'm all about us becoming a society that actually cares a little bit about 
mental health and emotions. Like I'm into that stuff. And for him to just be like, I want to cuddle my dog and watch some shows to feel better. We've all been there. We've all been there. That's relatable to me. That's that's an everyday John over there that I could get down with and get along with. Now, does that mean that he'll be durable enough to be the starting quarterback of the New York Giants or Chicago Bears or another big city where he has to have all that pressure put upon him? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, may, maybe Arizona would be a better setting for him in that sort of situation. But at, at, at the end of the day, Mia, it's not like he's the first good guy to ever play in the NFL, like a, a soft guy, I should say. If, if it's a question of maturity, I wouldn't let something like that, someone being emotional after a game, be a sign of maturity. Reggie Bush cried after games. No Sean Marino. We've seen what he did in those crying gifs that still permeate today. I don't get too concerned with it. I don't get concerned with it, but there's been enough of like sassy moments, like yelling at his offensive lineman, yelling at the sideline. If the pressure isn't exact, if, excuse me, if the if the the protection isn't exactly what he wants, which I respect, he's a perfectionist. I respect he wants his team to, to perform at a high level. But there's enough moments of where I'm like, mm, like, is this like you know, like it, like you know, bite your lip, bite your tongue, move forward, try to play the game, and not that he hasn't. And look, he dazzled the first six weeks of the season. The guy's talent is off the freaking charts. But there's part of me that also is like, can he handle the pressure on the field, let alone the pressure off the field? I think he can. He's from the DMV. So it's not like he's coming from like the, you know, some rural area where he's never been exposed to these bright lights. He's been in Los Angeles the last two years. He's coached by Lincoln Riley. But I don't know. I just, there's a couple different moments where I'm just like, i.e., I mean, listen, I covered the ultimate. Every time you're losing, you have to make a scene and cry hysterically and get upset in Urban Meyer. And I'm not saying Caleb Williams is at that level, but as Swamp Kings reminded us, like that was a whole culture and a whole team that anytime they lost, it turned into like this huge production. And you're going to have to lose the first year. That's why you're going to one of these big teams. And then also the whole thing from his dad about, did you read this? Or his dad believes that whichever team picks him should give him like a 10% ownership stake. So if it's the Arizona Cardinals, they better be ready for that. Like, I don't know. Like, I think he's going to be great. Like, I agree. He is better than many quarterbacks that are starting in the National Football League right now. Um, but, and I, and listen, everyone says he's a mature kid, but there's some things that I'm just like, well, thankfully, May is out there as another option because I think May is right up there with him in terms of what he brings to the table as a potential NFL starting quarterback. So whoever the top two, three teams are, depending on their positional needs come draft time, I don't think you're going to be in a losing scenario regardless. I think you're going to have a good pick at a potential franchise cornerstone uh, more than most other teams have had an opportunity in a while. You, you got to love those years in the NFL draft, Mia, where you just have this elite talent pool at the, at the top where it really does make it exciting that even if you don't have the number one overall pick, you know you're going to walk away with a great player. Right, exactly. Uh, especially at the quarterback position, the most important position mm-hmm. in football and arguably sports. And I think that you do have that this year even beyond those top two because – Bo Nix is playing at an elite level. I understand it's college football. I understand people disrespect the Pac-12. And that he's like 45 years old. So is Michael Penix Jr. And he's a lefty, so he's got that working against him. But both those guys are playing at an elite level. We don't know yet if Riley Leonard is coming out. We don't know yet if Carson Beck is coming out. Those are two guys that are your prototypical. But then you don't want to be the team that picks Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. Well, what would you say about Jalen Milrow right now? Like, you know, the, the, he's a different type of quarterback, too. So you don't want to be the team that passed on Will Levis for an entire round. I don't know. There's, th- there's 31 of them. So All right. let's talk about some villains. Yeah. Ooh, you know, I love this. I love talking about punchable faces. Oh, yay! <laughs> so what a segue. Ric Flair, you know, the 16 time. See, World Jim Harbaugh Champion. did make an appearance in this show. Yes. Ric Flair was seen strutting out of the Michigan locker room this morning as the Wolverine sign-stealing saga continues to evolve. We've had resignations, accusations, everything is flying about. Woo! Well, Flair, of course, best known during his world-renowned professional wrestling career, is one of the biggest bad guy cheaters in the history of the industry. So is it appropriate that Michigan 
just finally realizes it's time to embrace its role as villains this season? They have to. Because already there's calls for what if they win the national championship? Are they going to vacate it? Which, you know, the NCAA loves to vacate and take down banners. That's their favorite. That is that is their juice. They haven't done it since Louisville basketball 2013. They need it in their veins. So, yes, I, I think Jim Harbaugh needs to completely turn heel, especially because on the other side of that rivalry, I'm sorry, Ryan Day gets whinier by the minute. I am over him. I've been over him, but now I'm really over him. So what's great is Jim Harbaugh has an opportunity to be a villain, but who's also, like, respected, if that makes sense. And especially when you're hanging out like guys like Ric Flair, like, he's kind of like he's a villain, but he's lovable, too. People love Ric Flair. Yeah. Well, not, you know, not niche diehard wrestling fans like yourself and Tony Khan. Um, But I think like... Tony Khan just signed Ric Flair. Right. Thank you. He does love him. Uh, Pop culture wise, I think he's a celebrated figure. He is definitely well known within pop culture. He is mainstream for sure. He definitely is. Yeah. This this was just funny. When I saw on Twitter, X, Twix, whatever today that... Ric Flair walked out of the Michigan locker room. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you just, you got to. And apparently Jim Harbaugh and Ric Flair have been longtime friends. So that's, that's why he was there. But I just, I rolled my eyes immediately. I was like, this is playing into the bit. If I have ever seen it for Michigan. The, the question is though, I man, like it I better like- than it's Ohio state against the world. I love this much better. No, this listen, is much better. Listen, we're going to reach a point if we haven't reached it already where there are going to be very serious calls for Michigan to be disqualified from this season. Like very serious calls. Well, I mean, Pete Thamel reported it was coming this week and now all of a sudden it's not. So I'm, I am, I am, I agree. I think it's coming, but when, so if the writing is in theory on the wall that they're going to be disqualified, you just have to kind of go all in on embracing this role as a villain. What do you have to lose at that juncture? Go Banners on the fly run. forever. Don't let the NCAA tell you otherwise. Go on the run. Make haters out of everyone. Be the team with the target on your back. If this is Harbaugh's last stand in the NFL, make it a memorable one. And in the NCAA, rather, make it a memorable one. Because I think he's NFL bound if the NFL will offer him the protections that they offered Pete Carroll, of course. That is interesting, isn't it? What, that they sought asylum in the NFL? and Yeah, and they him? accepted Pete Carroll back. Will they accept Jim Harbaugh back? Oh, I saw there was a report this week that said the NFL won't be so quick to take him back. BS. Yes, there will be. They absolutely, you're telling me. The only thing that's working against him is that uh, Stephen Ross actually has a like a competent coach right now. If he didn't have Mike McDaniel, then like fellow oh, Michigan oh, boy would hire hello. him in a second. Hello. Earlier this year, we talked about future Dallas Cowboy head coach, yeah, Coach Prime. Well, guess what? Coach Prime's kind of fallen by the wayside oh. lately. Future Dallas Cowboy coach Jim Harbaugh is right up. Fresh off a championship, whether you acknowledge it or not. <laughs> is right up Jerry Jones's alley. I mean, come on here. I think Ric Flair is a friend of Jerry, right? Uh, that would track. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I think it tracks. So I'm here for it. It makes sense. He'll probably introduce him. All right. Let's get on to our final topic before the Beast of the Week, Mia. Yes, here we go. The NBA in-season tournament tipped off last week. And while the concept has been mostly well-received, the courts have not, which I'm sad about because that's my favorite part. Each team debuted different courts for the tourney, many of which are full of bright colors, odd designs, and are far different than their typical branding. John, did the NBA have to go to this length to get the tournament over as something that actually matters? I understand why they did it. I think they're trying to get it over as something that matters. They're trying to differentiate it from the rest of the regular season. I think it's great. I don't know why everyone is poo-pooing this. Look at that Chicago Bulls court right there. I'm getting some nineteen. I think it's awesome. Vibes. I love it. Honestly. I also love turf-colored fields. Or colored you know turf it, fields. You know what it reminds me 
of me uh, in like the Olympics when you see the courts have all those crazy vibrant colors for different sports. I'm I'm about it. I think it makes this concept stand out as different, stand out as interesting. It's a small aesthetic thing. I will admit it's a little difficult to get used to on TV because the uniforms are already super vibrant with these redesigns. So you throw that in with the redesign courts. It almost reminds me of the turn ahead, the clock night, which we've talked about here on this podcast. The major league baseball did years ago. They tried to do all this like futuristic off brand stuff, a a little reminiscent of that, but I'm down to boogie with it. I think it's cool. I like it that it's at the start of the season too. When like, I mean, everybody's glued to football and the World Series just wrapped up. And this is how you differentiate yourself. You got to do something. I mean, yeah. it's branding at the end of the day. It's an opportunity for sponsorships and ad sales. And now that I'm in that space, yeah, um, you know, it's it's something that you you have to do in order to garner eyes and garner those dollars and cents to keep your operation flowing. And I don't know exactly what the pay structure is or like just in general the financial structure for having some sort of in-season tournament. But, yeah, you need to come up with well, something. You get- if you win, you get five hundred thousand dollars. So there's there's player there's player incentive. incentive for them to actually go out and really try to compete in this thing more than anything else during the season. Hey, listen, I poo pooed the play in tournament when it first came about, and, and here great. we are, three years later, and we love it. And I think it brings up a great point of all this pushback I've been hearing lately about the twelve team college football playoff. We are a country that values the NCAA tournament like no other. Outside of the mammoth that is the National Football League, it is the highest revenue-grossing sporting event in our nation, and 68 teams make the field. And I love when people say, well, that's too many. No, it's not. Because when the one beats the 16, you are all glued to it and you know everything about St. Peter's, about Fairleigh Dickinson, where their moms are from and what their favorite ice cream flavor is. So I don't want to hear it that, oh, well, you know, now that you have extra teams making the NBA playoffs or, oh, 12-team playoff, like, I don't want to see Wisconsin or, well, guess what? If Wisconsin and their defense somehow stifles Alabama, you can't be upset about it. It's a football game. You can be upset if Jalen Milrow, heaven forbid, gets hurt, but that's also part of the game. So, yeah, I'm here for it. I appreciate the NBA trying to be creative. It's akin to also with um, the PGA Tour coming up with the Tiger Golf League and, you know, as much as we're not Liv fans necessarily, but the thought of if if Liv and PGA Tour are to combine the team events that you saw in Liv, you would see them during the fall of the PGA Tour schedule. And I think that would be cool because on like an off – I don't know, like, you know, Friday, you want to watch team golf and it's the speed. I mean, people love the Ryder Cup and it's, you know, speed, Rory and Tiger are all like on the same team. Like you would watch that. So, again, you have to get creative, especially with yeah. this time of the year. And aside, did you see the video of Charlie Wood swinging today? Oh, I've seen him swing before and he is. It is it's, remarkable. I mean, he's his father, but also like he's what, 12 now, 13? His swing is unbelievable. Wow. His follow through his follow through is a mirror image of his father. And it looks effortless. God, is that gonna be a fun story over the years or what? I hope he pans out because yeah. we also forget how much that kid's been through. I mean, he was Who so would young. Be big? Who would be bigger? Him or Bronny? Bronny now in light of everything that happened with the sudden cardiac arrest. Yeah. Bronny, just I feel bad because there's been so much expectation placed on him. And I don't think his natural God-given abilities, as great as they are, match that of his father. Because no, I don't think I we will ever see another human being that has I been agree. given that. And you can make that argument for Tiger as well. But if, you know, Charlie goes no, out. The jury's still out on Charlie. We haven't seen him in that setting Right. Yet. And also, I think if Charlie goes out and is a top 10 golfer for like a 10-year stretch, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, damn. Like, he took mm-hmm. it and he ran with it. So, like, good for that kid. Yeah. All right, man, it's time for the beast of the week. Who was or what did or what when was the most beastly thing? We are actually, John, are you ready for this? I don't think we've ever done this on this program. We are going to take it to field hockey. 
Oh, oh, I you, know what you're going to do. You okay. heard that right. So yeah, okay. Aaron Matson, who, mind you, the greatest player, arguably, in UNC field hockey history, North Carolina, of course, uh, they now have won seven straight ACC championships. Aaron Matson made history this past summer, or two summers ago now, I'm doing the math in my head, when at 23 years old, she was named the head coach, fresh off of graduating, fresh off her COVID fifth year at North Carolina. She now is the head coach. And at 24 years old now, I believe she is, or she's 23. She was hired at 22. Um, she is the first ACC field hockey coach to win a title in her first season. And yes, she is also the youngest head coach in the history of the sport. And seven straight for the Tar Heels. Good for them. That's, I mean... We talk about UConn and what they've been able to do, but like that's absurd. That is amazing. That is amazing to be able to command that respect too at that age. Hey, it goes back to our argument about yeah. managers. I there mean, she go. was literally playing with these girls she and was. was their captain, and now she's actually the They're coach. like, wow, you're good enough to do this. Why don't you do it? <laughs> and they felt, and you know, they said in the interview or in the um the story that was written up with the AD just said like she showed up to the interview and she was more prepared than any other candidate. And she had all like papers and spreadsheets of how she was going to run and everything. And they were like, well, she's the most no qualified it, So, My beast of the week, James Harden. Mm. Why is James Harden the beast of the week? Well, guess what, James Harden? You finally got your trade. You got everything you wanted. This guy is the master manipulator of the NBA. Somehow, someway, he has found his way to whatever team and destination he wants to. But guess what? This is probably your last shot at it. This is your last chance to go out there and prove that you are a, not just a championship caliber player, but a championship caliber teammate. If you don't get it done with the Los Angeles Clippers, no NBA team is going to give you everything you want ever again. It's never going to happen again. It might never happen again as is, even if you do well. But he got everything he wanted, Mia. So congrats, Mr. Beast of the Week. Now go out there and play winning basketball as a teammate. And he had the most beastly comment I've ever heard. He said, I'm not a system player. I am the system. I want that on a t-shirt. By the way, I hope he makes it past this season so he can partake in their shiny new arena. Um, But I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I am the system. The solar system, if you're Josh Dobbs. This has been Out of Bounds. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. We will see you next week right here on Know Your News. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.